Machine learning is everywhere. And I don't mean everywhere and that there's articles you see every day. I mean machine learning is being deployed everywhere. Oh yeah, we, we know image recognition, pictures of cats and dogs, that's fine. But per Google Trends, people are searching for machine learning nearly five times as often as they were five years ago. Staffs of business analysts are now augmented by teams of data scientists. And how an entrepreneurial company works today is very different because of ML. So let's dig into machine learning and let's understand it better and let's talk about how it's fueled the artificial intelligence revolution. I'm John Pryle. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. Today, we are fortunate to be with our latest member of the Georgian Partners Impact Team, Paranaz Sobhani. Paranaz is our Director of Machine Learning. Welcome, Paranaz. Thank you, John. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background? Okay, so I am wrapping up my PhD. I'm going to defend on May. And I did my PhD in computer science, focused on machine learning and natural language processing. I did my master also in artificial intelligence and machine learning and my bachelor in computer science. So what were kind of the cool projects that you worked on? I actually focused on lots of projects, but my main focus on my PhD was on opinion mining social media. And as a target of interest, we had different staffs like Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, uh, legalization of marijuana, or even feminism movements. So it could be an individual, very specific target, or it could be a broad-based area of interest. Exactly. We can have more abstractive or more like actual people or concepts. So we we can have different kinds of targets, and we are looking for people's pro or cons or overall position toward different targets. So how is machine learning taught today in universities? What skills do students emerge with? I would say there are lots of focus on mathematics because machine learning's foundation is mathematics. So there are lots of focus on mathematics and statistics, of course. The statistic is one of the most important things that you should know before jumping into machine learning, if you want to go very deep, of course. Then there are going to be lots of projects, like they're going to, we're going to normally, we're going to have several projects in our semesters, focusing on different applications of AI. It can be image processing, speech recognition, or text processing, or you can just simply work with the structural data where features are already extracted and you just need to play with different machine learning models. So this is interesting to me because what what I'm hearing is, you know, there's so much more to be done with the data. Because from my perspective, and remember I'm an old guy, you know, predictive analytics has been around for forever. And you know, you know data mining has been around for forever. But I think you'll probably agree that what what they were mining on or predicting was on a very limited set of data and a little limited set of tools. Is that a fair statement? You know, what what's made it that different now? You're right. Data, data, like we have huge amounts of data these days that is generated every day on the web or from our sensors, our cameras, our different stuff. So we have huge amounts of data. And you're right, we need to process this data and we need to have a good sense out of this data, how we should use them, how we should extract. Because for machines, it doesn't make sense to have text or like speech signals. They just need to work with numerical values. And then you have to map your text, your speech, or your image into this new space of numbers. 
and that's that was the one of the biggest challenge for machine learning so far and i would say with deep learning this challenge is much more solved i would say but not completely it's interesting because you know one of the interesting articles i've read and and i'm, a, I'm a, it's a kind of interesting blog out there called machine learning is fun and i had my narrow naive view of what was meant by image processing and facial recognition and there was a number of different key thoughts that were done to make it successful and so my one example was i always thought it looked at pixels and images and faces, but it was not. It was the relationship of each pixel to the eight adjacent pixels. That was a major breakthrough. You got that much more detail. Where does, when you come out of a school or when you're understanding that, where does that level of thinking, and that's basically an algorithm definition, although it's not an algorithm in the sense of telling a computer what to do. It's really telling the computer how to look at the data. How do people get that set of skills? Is that, is that a business skill? Is that, uh, is that part of an element of learning the machine language techniques the machine learning techniques yes that's correct you know we had we have this this machine learning course and then we have several other courses we call it image or vision speech recognition and natural language processing courses and different ai tasks and for different ai asks you need to have those task specific knowledge for example if it is image processing then you need to know about a bit about how you should extract features or these numerical values, as you said, with how you can extract age, how you should compare neighborhood pixel to extract different features. And they, they need kind of task-specific knowledge and skills. But again, with deep learning, you don't, you don't necessarily need those kind of stuffs because you just give raw numbers, raw, I would say raw data, like raw text, raw signals of speech to the machine, and machine can extract features as well as optimize the best model uh, for this classification task. So that's great. So that helps me get from kind of machine learning, which perhaps has been around a longer period of time, to deep learning, which you just mentioned. So my example of kind of recognizing a face and making some decisions on how the data gets processed is no longer needed if I move to the world of deep learning. Is, is that fair? How, and how do you categorize, yeah, I'll have you categorize right. the two for me. Yeah, that's right. That's why I have seen lots of linguistics, lots of people that have devoted their life on those kinds of developing those kind of skills now they are really i would say scared or upset but i think we don't need to be upset or scared we just need to learn and i think deep learning is a, when you start to look and looking at it because it has been inspired from human brain then you're going to start appreciate it because you think it is more natural way of learning but there isn't, you know, that evolution of, of, of what skills people are required is, is just natural. I mean, no, one's learned, no one has skills on how to build a horse, horse and buggy. They had skills how to build a car. We had skills how to drive a car, and that's probably not necessary in the next few years as well. So programmers used to write algorithms, define algorithms. And now we're talking about the old-style machine learning people that thought about data in a different way. And that evolves now to deep learning. So I think it's... You're right, people might get upset about it, but that's just sort of life and evolution. Exactly, yeah. We don't have any choice. We have to just try to cope with those changes. <laughs> okay, so I understand 
you know, deep learning will do some of these things that I was just talking about in terms of image processing and the like, but it doesn't obviate the need for just traditional machine learning. We've had analytics for years. People can evolve their analytics with machine learning. So what should a company do in terms of getting started? What, what do they need to start with and, and how much data do they need? I would say always try and start to get insights from your data, like exactly like traditional analytics. Just try to visualize your data, try to look at the distributions, correlations between different attributes and the outcomes. And also try to start from very simple statistical models like logistic regression, SVMs, the things that were there forever and you don't need to necessarily start with deep learning especially if your data set is not very big. At that point, I'll get just basic classification and understanding of my data more than I can do if I was just a traditional human analyst. Fair? Yeah, exactly. And then little by little, you can collect more data or you can automatically labor more data with humans in the loop. And you might end up having much bigger data set that you can apply deep learning or deep neural models as well on them. It's always better to start with smaller data sets. It doesn't need to be perfect. And then grow, 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 and collect more. Excellent. So help me understand, as we grow from ML to maybe, maybe, may or not using deep learning, but where does AI come in? How do you see the difference between machine learning and AI? Is it a matter of adding different techniques, or is it something kind of different from your perspective? I think the term AI was there even before machine learning. And it started with very simple expert systems, which was like trying to understand what experts do in your process, and then trying to replicate this kind of process in terms of such if-then-else kind of rules or rule-based kind of models. And then machine learning provided more methodological or systematical approach to learn from data rather than learn from your experts in the process. So I would say rather than having if-then-else rules, trying to have a data set with their outcomes and then let the model to learn those kinds of rules rather than feeding those rules to the models. So I would say in these days, machine learning is the core or heart of AI, but obviously there are other methods or other approaches that you can leverage to have AI or to solve AI tasks. So let me step back a little bit, a couple different points here. In one case, we've got data and machine learning and we've got some outcomes that are perfectly useful and incredibly valuable to a company doesn't mean that they're mimicking experts. They're just doing some work. Uh, is AI more about letting the machine engine mimic and do the result, the work of experts? Is, is, I'm not sure that's a fair characterization. I think you're right. Yeah, it's, we should say it's not necessarily replacing humans or experts. It's more about, at least at the current stage of AI or machine learning, it is more about helping humans to be more efficient rather than replacing them, helping them to be more accurate. So say, I would strongly say that we still need humans in the loop. We cannot replace humans completely from the processes, but we might end up in 10 years or 20 years to, to the point that we can replace 
humans as well. But at least at current stages, I would strongly say we need humans and experts in the loop as well. Perfect. And that's a, that's a great pragmatic answer. Uh, do you see other exciting examples right now of ML in business in our everyday lives? Uh, obviously, we've got self-driving cars, but any thoughts on some of the less obvious ones where ML is really embedded in some of the work you've seen now coming out of school? Yeah, I had, I had done a, a, an internship in Microsoft Research. Our project was machine translation, and it was part of this Skype translator. And I think the, the act, I really like the goal because it's, it's all about connecting more people and we don't have this language barrier anymore. And I think most of us have tried the Google Translate as well. So it's really interesting how people approach this problem. They started with rule-based and then they started with more statistical methods. And then they ended up having deep neural networks to solve this problem. And with deep neural networks, you don't need to necessarily tell the machine that the translation for hello is bonjour in French. So the model and the machine can learn by itself that the, how to do those kinds of mappings. And you know, before these kinds of mappings were very difficult, because there is not one-to-one -one mapping between words or phrases in language pairs, and that makes it really difficult. But now with deep neural networks, we can just fit million pairs of sentences or phrases or words to the machine, and machine gonna figure out how to map from one language to another language. And it seems it's doing it very well. And that's interesting because there was a really cool article or video about kind of the AI winters from the 60s to this between these decades and AI winters. And the very first approach of AI, I think it was English to Russian during the Cold War, and they were trying to do word by word translation, and it really did fail. Uh, so this is a good example of you, it's machine learning isn't sufficient. We really need to go into that deep learning world, get that much more data into the system to yield really successful results. Exactly. And the good thing is that for some tasks like machine translation or image or face recognition or speech recognition, we have data. We actually have data. So we, we, we don't need to be worried about it. But as I told you, we don't have such big data sets for every task. And that's why AI is not the solution for, or I would say deep learning is not actually the solution for every AI task. Got it. So in the old days, uh, you had a business analyst probably and a programmer, and those two individuals would team up and develop a product and a solution that hopefully met the customer requirements as well as was able to be delivered on time. We still need that. We still need those business skills. Uh, we can call that a program manager, a product manager, the business analyst, but obviously these com our companies need business skills. Uh, then, of course, we'll still need some traditional IT programming skills, perhaps, uh, understanding the infrastructures and the stack. And then new on this might be data science and or machine learning skills. Uh, what would, what's the right makeup of a team for a company to focus on? You're looking at engineering teams. What are you looking for to make sure you've got the right breadth of skills being attacked? Uh, and take it, answer in terms of skills, not necessarily people, because my assumption is somebody might have 
you know, two sets of skills here. But what are the skills that are required as you look into an engineering team to make sure they're able to deliver on these new, new solutions? Okay, for any analytics project, as you said, you need mixture of different skills. Of course, developer kind of skills and engineering kind of skills is a must. And then we need to have also data engineers. By data engineers, I mean somebody who can collect data from very different sources. And this data might be unstructured. Like it can, this data can be image or text or speech as well. And then how to extract features from this data and how to integrate all these sources of data. I think these are very important things that needs to be for any analytics project. And most of the time there are data engineers are responsible for these kinds of tasks. So as, as, a, as these data wranglers, I don't know that that's a fair term, but I've heard that before, bring the different pieces of data together, be it structured or unstructured. Does it end up in what I think of as an old-fashioned data model, or is it really more important that the data is just in the form that can be fed into a machine learning engine? I would say here it is more important to have, to collect the data that can be fed into the model rather than building a data by itself. The model is the most important part here. And to train models, we need data. And that's where data plays a significant role. And the model is derived from the machine learning engine as opposed to being created by the data scientist? Exactly. But you know, it needs the intuition and insights of data scientists as well. You cannot simply feed data to the machine but you need to also have understandings of the models and data to make sure you don't have overfitting. By overfitting, I mean sometimes we, we're going to, at the end of the day, create models that are very, very, very specific to the training data or to the data they have seen so far. And they are not generalizable to the new data or to the unseen data that you haven't seen so far. And that's what we expect models to be able to do, to be able to predict those data that they haven't seen before. So this is a great new path I want to go down with this now, which is the data that you feed into a system is all it has to work with. Uh, but if you're looking for the richest possible set of results, if you're looking for unbiased results, then it is the responsibility of the team that's feeding this engine to make sure it has exception cases built in or that you're forcing the machine to run longer and harder with, and, and produce errors. Uh, this might get us a little bit toward this reinforced learning model. So talk to me a little bit about the data that goes in. Do you always feed in perfect data? Do you feed in error data? How do the humans capture that uh, to make sure this model keeps getting better and smarter? I would say it's, it's, it doesn't necessarily need to be perfect because we have some machine learning algorithms that are supposed to be robust to the noise. So it doesn't need to be perfect, but it does need to be unbiased. So you don't, you don't want to have, you want to have a representative data set that includes all possible population that you are modeling. And also you can have humans in the loop to look at the results and out, outcomes of the models to make sure are they correct or not. And even if they are not correct, how can you make them better? By better, I mean, if there is some... I wanted to stay a little bit on tooling then, or to kind of change subjects. And, and I'd like to talk about tooling. Uh, there's so much available. 
you could go to Google and use TensorFlow. Who's the person that sits within a company and starts deciding what tools should be used? And do the tools matter a lot or is it really just getting the data right? I would say there are lots of powerful tools these days, like TensorFlow, Tiano, Torch, Maxnet from Amazon. So there are so many options for people. And of course they have, there are differences between these kinds of tools, but most of them has kinds of capabilities or powers that in smaller companies we need. And they all have the same logics. So if you learn logics and if you learn the models, what's going on in the models mathematically or even like algorithmically, then it's not going to be difficult for you to switch between dif different tools. Um, I would say data is the most important part. Having good quality of data, having humans in the loop, checking the outputs and testing the outputs of the model to make sure and to learn more about errors and bias. Perfect. And so where do you think we'll be in the next couple of years? We're going to hear more about AI. And as we collect more data, we can train more powerful models. We can use more complex methods like deep learning and reinforcement learning and having better accuracies. It's going to help humans to be more efficient but we have to be careful about the risks and consequences as well. And we have to check the outcomes of the models repeatedly and iteratively to make sure they are not biased. Interesting. So that'll be cool. I think we have a lot to come. I think it'll be fun to see how our companies do this. Paranas, thank you for taking the time with us today. It's been a pleasure. The same here. I really enjoy talking and this kind of discussion. 